Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Exodus 31, verses 1 through 11. Listen for what God is saying to you. The Lord spoke to Moses. See, I have called my name Bezalel, sorry, <laughs> son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have appointed with him Oholiab, son of Ahazamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given skill to all the skillful so that they may all have that, so that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting and the ark of covenant and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin with its stand and the finely worked vestments, the holy vestments for the priests, Aaron, and the vestments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They shall do just as I have commanded you. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. I'm going to do an additional scripture reading. We have two for today. And do a little plug. Um, which is, if you are not in a small group yet, you should join one, and we're going to talk about why. But the second reading is from Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps God's self in light as with a garment, stretches out the heavens like a tent, and lays the beams of God's upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. How many are your works, Lord, in wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. 
I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I have to start out with a question for all of you. This is one of my favorite icebreaker questions when I do a meeting, when I do a small group, when I do an anything. Um, but it's also just a really interesting thing to think about, which is what is the first concert you ever went to? First live music that wasn't in your house and wasn't at church, wasn't at a religious community. First concert you ever went to. And some people may have not, not gone to any, but what are some of them? Beyonce. Nickelback? Wow, Beyonce, that's a winner. <laughs> then Nickelback, that's amazing. MC Hammer! Oh, love. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, wow. Okay, what are some of the other ones? Al Green. Al, you know I went to Al Green's church in Memphis? Amazing. Also, a member of 3-6 Mafia has a church in Memphis, and I went there, and he spent the entire time telling us not to do coke, which was <laughs> very good advice, <laughs> but it seemed like a pretty specific message for a pretty, tar pretty targeted audience. Um, other first concerts. Common? Oh, I walked down the aisle to be by Common. That was my husband and my first date. I love Common. All right, other concerts? Oh, wow, that's a, that's a, I love that. Okay, that's classic. Now we got, yeah. But other places, other concerts? In sync. <sighs> love that. Uh, my first concert, my, I have two, hey, hey, no, no, no. We don't look down on In sync in this house of worship. <laughs> this is the house of God, and God made Justin Timberlake too. <laughs> um, my first, I have, I have two. My first concert that I chose, right, like my, me and my little friends looked it up online and like we got the money and we bought the tickets and all that stuff was Destiny's Child. Uh, this was post having four members, pre having Michelle. <laughs> um, so it was a very exciting time in Destiny's Child's life. And it was incredible, extraordinary. Everything I could have imagined, everything I wanted for my first concert, I was so pumped, it was amazing. Um, but technically, my first concert that that I ever went to um, was one that my mom picked. I was in fourth grade and my brother was in second grade and I think she was sort of like, I'm not staying in the house anymore. <laughs> and she picked a concert and she took us with her to see Elton John. Um, and I was in fourth grade, so you'll forgive me if I had absolutely no context for who he was or why that was cool. I didn't know anything about him, but I still remember it really vividly because it was, um, I didn't know any of the songs, but it was extraordinary. He sat at a piano and played and sang with full energy and full commitment for three hours. It was one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen and like kept the attention of the people, right? Like he just was in it. He was being his full musician self. Um, and it was extraordinary. As some of you know, if you've heard me tell my story before, that uh, my parents, by the time I was born, were not religious. The church had burned, bored, all of the things it does to some people, it did to them. Um, and so I grew up non-religious and I converted to Christianity as a teenager. And some of my most distinct memories from first becoming a Christian are of people beginning to tell me that secular music, a phrase I had never heard before and didn't understand, right? I was like, what's secular music? What makes it secular? Um, was inappropriate or bad or wouldn't help me in my faith walk, right? That what I should be listening to was Christian music that had been designed especially to be Christian and especially for Christians because secular music was okay but might lead you astray, right? Um, and, and that conversation is not over, right? I was, I was remembering uh, when I 
first started at church, right, there was this whole controversy about Kirk Franklin and New Nation, and is he using too much hip-hop, and is it too mixed together, right? And I sort of thought we had worked that out, right? He's now like the number one gospel artist in the nation, like we've had that conversation. And then Erica Campbell comes out with I Love God three years ago, and we have the exact same conversation all over again, right? This, um, why don't we separate the, the secular and the religious? the explicitly talking about Jesus and the not explicitly talking about Jesus. And even as sort of like a young, I didn't have theological formation, I didn't have fancy words, it just didn't sit right with me. And it didn't sit right with me because I would sit there and I would think, didn't God make Elton John too? <laughs> right? Like, didn't God make Elton John too? In, in that moment when he was singing at the fullness of his creative abilities and had this extraordinary ability to play at that moment when Beyonce and her friends, which is really how we thought of Destiny's Child even at that time, <laughs> right? Like even then we knew, um, danced in perfect sync and sang those harmonies. They could sing harmonies, people forget. I mean, people forget how good they were. Um, isn't God at work there too? Not to mention the fact that one of the first religious songs I ever knew, I knew because they put Amazing Grace on writings on the wall, right? Um, it, it didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit well with me. And it's been something that I've been thinking about ever since because I think we cut ourselves off of so much joy, of so much beauty, of so much creativity, but we also tell a bad story about who God is and what God does and what the point of God is when we make these rigid distinctions between what really counts as religious um, and, and, and some of the criteria that we use to say what really counts. And so we're talking about creativity and creation today and all of these scriptures and uh, in the life of a person that we're gonna talk about, Rosetta Tharp, who I could not be more excited to tell you about. But I, I first wanna enter into that through some of this scriptural witness about what creativity is. This passage from Exodus is one of my favorites um, in part because it's a beautiful description of what it means to value craft, right? That church doesn't happen without people using their gifts. And Bezalel's gift was not a gift of preaching, it was not a gift of teaching, it was not a gift of uh, miracles, it was a gift of craft, a gift of artistry, a gift of creativity, and he used it to make the temple beautiful <laughs> and to make a place of worship, a place where people wanted to be. In the first church I ever served, um, the lay leader who like made us run, right? There's always somebody at every church. There's always that one person who just like quietly behind the scenes makes it all go. His name was Bezalel. And he took with his own two hands and crafted with wood the back corner where we put in our very first projector ever. And he was the one who would figure out the technology each Sunday. And his creativity for him came in tech. He worked in IT. And, and I always think of that Bezalel when I think about the number of ways that creativity can make itself known in our worship life. And then we come to Psalm 104, which is one of um, kind of three major places named in the Hebrew Bible where the creation story is told, right? The, in some ways, the creation story gets told over and over and over again as long as we live. But there are these three major places in the Hebrew Bible where it's told outright as a full story. One, you're probably familiar with, Genesis 1, if you haven't heard of it see me after church and we can talk, um, right? Genesis 1, uh, which is the most famous creation story on the first day, on the second day, right? And then on the seventh day, there's a Sabbath that, that looks at creation really from God's perspective. What did God decide to create first? It's really cosmic. It's really giant. 
And then the second place where the creation is told is in Job 38, um, where Job, who has endured suffering beyond suffering, um, seemingly at the hands of a uncaring, gamesman-like God in a competition with the devil. Um, I find it interesting that Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible, <laughs> that before we started writing down any of the other questions, the first thing we needed to write down was, why is it so hard? <laughs> why does it suck so much sometimes, right? Was the, that was the first question on our hearts and minds. Um, and in Job 38, after this extended period of time where Job is asking for answers, why has this happened to me? Why is it hard? Why is it hard? Um, and his friends have been absolutely useless because they keep saying, here's how you're going to fix it. Here's why you did wrong. Um, God comes on the scene. And what God says is like not a, a useful answer or a specific answer or an explanation. It is, I am the one who created the universe deal with it, right? Um, I am the one who created the universe. So that's the second creation narrative. And then this is the third one, which comes from the book of Psalms. And it, to me, is the most human, the most human of all of the, the scriptures about what creation is and how it happened and what it means. Um, it, it's from our perspective of experiencing creation and creativity. And that's because that's a lot of what the book of Psalms is, is that it's a, a deeply human book of the Bible, um, one that was gathered over hundreds of years by different people who picked what their favorite songs and poems to worship to were, and eventually we clicked on a set that kind of worked for everybody, right? And probably some people's favorites got left out, and probably some things got left in where everybody was like, ooh, I do not like that one, right? That's the, um, they did a survey of clergy about 10 years ago on favorite and least favorite hymns. By far the favorite were How Great Thou Art and Amazing Grace, and by far the least favorite was He Touched Me, um, <laughs> which I still find so funny. But it's still in every hymnal you see, right? Um, that, that the Psalms is a book really made for human use, right? It's not made to think about big ideas, although it does. It's not made to impress, uh, although it does. What it's made for is for us to sing with. What it's made for is for us to read and for us to worship with. And Psalm 104 makes it in there as the creation narrative. Um, and and it's a, it gets used all the time. It gets used in worship um, in Jewish communities and Christian communities for all kinds of reasons. And it really starts the way that our day starts, right? I rise and I see that God is amazing because the sun rises too. Isn't it amazing that God made the firmament? firmament? Um, I, I look out my window and I see that there are so many creatures. Look at all those creatures. Isn't God amazing? And then I sort of imagine that he, um, he like starts to feel that he's hungry for breakfast, right? And he says, you know what's really amazing about God? That God gives all, us, all of us food. That God makes all of these creatures be fed and provisioned. That's what's really amazing about God. And he's kind of going through just what he sees and how extraordinary it is and how amazing. And let's bring up that first part of the psalm. And then the place where he ends is in response to this extraordinary wonder of creation, that I have seen the sun and it is extraordinary, and I have seen the animals and they are extraordinary, and I have seen the waters and they are extraordinary. I must sing. I must sing because what I have seen is so glorious. The end of the psalm is that our response to God's enormous creativity, to God's incredible wonders, to the glories of the earth, is that something inside of us comes out and we have to be creative in response. We feel who God has made us to be when God showed us who God is. And so we see the wonders of the universe and we want to be creative too.
right? It's this natural response that we see over and over again in these songs. We experience the glories of creation, and so we want to go forward into the world and create. And I don't know, maybe you consciously think of yourself as a creative person. I know all of you are. All of you are creative people. But some of us don't think of it. Um, I think because we're in a society that encourages us to think of things as only real or only truthful if we make money off of them. Um, we think we're only a singer if it's our profession. We're only a painter if we sell a painting, right? But, but creativity lives in all of us. Creativity might live in you, in your knitting. Creativity might live in you, in the games you play with your nieces and nephews that nobody else could have made up, the stories you tell at night that no one else could have come up with. And, and it's my contention and the psalmist's contention and I think God's contention that every time that that creativity comes out of us, it is an act of God and a place where we might meet God and a place where we might get to know God better. And that if we are cutting ourselves off from whole swaths of creativity because they don't seem on the surface to be Jesus-y enough, to be Christian enough, we have cut ourselves off from a huge fountain of living water that God wants us to avail ourselves of. That it is creativity and creation that God wants for us, and when we engage in creativity, that's who we find. So I think that's part of what the psalm is teaching us, and we're going to go back into it um, later. But I, I want to live into that deeply, that notion of creator, created, creative, right? That the, the things can't be unsparked, unmeshed from one another, um, and the real life of a real person, who is Rosetta Tharp. Each Sunday of this sermon series, we've been looking at um, uh, making a way out of no way. This is a classic womanist way of talking about the experience of who God is in a world that is broken um, and that is oppressive and that is bare sometimes. Um, and womanism is a, a way of knowing God's work in the world that comes from the experience of being a black woman, right? Um, and that, that says, these are the ways in which I have been resourceful and creative beyond measure. <laughs> the world did not want me to be, and here I am. <laughs> and here is my extraordinary black girl magic, right? It's, it's all of a piece. This declaration that in the midst of a world that doesn't see you or that presses you down, God has made you extraordinary and there is wonder and there is creation. It's all of a piece with that. Um, and, and each Sunday we're looking at a different person um, who, who exemplifies that in their life. And this Sunday it's Rosetta Tharp. Um, and Rosetta Tharp was someone who was born in 1915. You may or may not have heard of her. She was born in 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. Both of her parents were sharecroppers. And her mother was an evangelist for the Church of God in Christ. And I don't know if anyone has ever been to a Kojic revival, but they are, for my money, the best revivals that you'll ever find. Um, and, and that's where Rosetta Tharp grew up going, right? She, would, she was a musical prodigy at the age of four, learned guitar at the age of four, was excellent at it by the age of six. And because her mother was this traveling evangelist, her mother, you know, we all know a pastor who made their kids be the worship band, right? Everybody's met one of these. Um, her mother said, Rosetta, all right, like you're, you're doing the circuit. You're coming with me. You're going to every single one. And so Rosetta starts going to all of these revivals and really honing her guitar skills in a deeply worshipful environment. Um, yeah, I love this picture of her. Um, and she, by the time she is a young adult, has... Uh, developed extraordinary skills. She um, uh, plucks the guitar in a way that she had learned to make an acoustic 
sound loud at the back of the room in these big rooms. She starts to pluck it in a really interesting way. Um, I don't know enough about guitar. You'll have to ask Lawrence Rico after like what the details of it are, but this is what I've learned from what I've learned, what I've read about Rosetta. Um, and then once electric guitars are invented, she can make a sound that nobody else can make <laughs> because she's invented this new way of doing it on acoustic that on electric sounds incredible. <laughs> and so she starts making this music that everybody wants to hear. And when she starts producing singles, she starts doing something that is interesting, which is combining her sort of Pentecostal gospel background with a speeded up rhythm and blues that is what she's hearing in the clubs on Saturday night, right? She's going to the clubs on Saturday night, she's going to church on Sunday morning, she's playing both kinds of music, and she starts to combine them and create a little something that you might know as rock and roll. <laughs> um, Rosetta Tharp basically invented rock and roll with her first single, single, Rock Me, in 1937, and kept on inventing it for the next decade. Every song she comes out with um, has this incredible combination of Jesus music and club music, both of which she finds God in and finds herself in, and she creates something new. She creates something brand new. Um, and it, it's interesting that uh, rock music was controversial for exactly this reason when it first came out, right? That it combined church sounds with talk about sex and bodies and people, and people thought that was scandalous. But for Rosetta, it wasn't scandalous, it was living like a Christian, living with all of the things that you live with. Um, and because of the racism and sexism of our society, her story has largely been lost until the last 10 years. But she is someone who Chuck Berry named her as one of his biggest inspirations. Elvis Presley named her as one of his biggest inspirations. Both Johnny Cash and Little Richard said that she was their favorite singer when they were growing up, right? This woman invented a genre, a whole new way of doing music, and she did it while being a black queer woman in the South in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. This is one of my favorite parts. We're about to play a little song from her, um, and it, it's, I'm very divided because um, this song that I'm about to play called Up in the Air was one of her big hits with her partner, Marie Knight. But no tape exists. Um, you can find recordings of them playing it together, but not video. And uh, I don't know why. Part of it is because very little was recorded, but I think part of it is because maybe the cameras would have picked up on their love, right? Marie Knight was a gospel singer who was a pianist and a singer. Um, and Rosetta saw her playing one night and said, oh, I, like, I want to work with her. <laughs> and they became musical collaborators, and they also became collaborators in life. They were together for over 10 years, a couple. And most gospel artists in the United States knew that they were a couple, knew that they were in love, knew that they were living life together. And they toured and had some of the biggest shows ever in our country's history. Rosetta got married a couple of times, as many pop artists who want a little pump in the news do. Um, and when Rosetta got married to her second husband as a concert and sort of a PR move in Washington, DC, while she was still with Marie, 22,000 people showed up to that concert, 22,000. It was one of the biggest concerts that had ever been held up until that time. Why haven't you heard her story? So Rosetta was someone who never thought you had to sacrifice talking about God to be in what was happening in the modern world and to be in creativity and to be in music. So let's play a little bit of that song if we can. This is where we see if the text is working out. Up above my head, I hear music in the air. Up above my head, there is 
She's like been my entire Spotify for the last month. Um, but Up Above My Head, like every single one of Rosetta's hits, was both about the experience of the world and her experience of God. She didn't see a need to separate these two things, either to sell herself to one world or to remain true to her Christian ideals. She was a deeply faithful Christian her entire life. And Up Above My Head was about the music she heard in the air, but also the God who gave her that music. Her biggest hit, Strange Things Happening Every Day, is explicitly, specifically, names Jesus as her savior and the one who lifts her up, and it also talks about what it feels like to live in a time when nuclear war feels imminent, when all kinds of war surround, when strange things are happening every day and it feels like you don't know what will happen next in your world. I have been listening to that song a whole lot um, as I try and engage with today. Rosetta did not see a reason to choose between her Monday through Saturday and her Sunday, any more than Urban Village did or does, and any more than we need to or do. In fact, part of the reason why you might not have heard of Rosetta, part of it is simply that racism and sexism have done their work to keep her story from us. But part of it might be that she didn't have another huge billboard hit from the end of the 50s until the time she died when she was 73 because she refused to stop playing religious music and billboards started to much more heavily segregate their charts so that you kind of had to pick if you were gonna be a rock artist, a pop artist, or a gospel artist, and Rosetta just wouldn't. She wouldn't do it, right? She was like, I am queer, and I am Pentecostal, and I am me, and I'm singing about it all, and none of you can stop me. And, and so when we think about our own response to creation, to this wonder that God has put in front of us, I hope that we don't force ourselves into false choices that Rosetta and the psalmist never would have accepted. That we separate the things that give us pleasure and joy and the place where we find our creativity from God who somehow is only about fancy or serious things. That we separate God who must demand that he be named in all things from where the places are that we have found peace and balance and joy, which at the end of the day are always signs of the Holy Spirit. There have been generations before us that have not made that false choice. And if we're going to live whole, holy, integrated lives, be people of mercy and justice and joy and peace, we must not segregate those parts of ourselves either. God can find us everywhere. God has found us everywhere. And every element of creation is a possible gift to you about what God is doing in the world. And every impulse you feel to respond, whether it is in a crayon drawing that no one would put in a museum but that has connected you to the holy that is at the center of the universe, a poem that no one might ever publish but that has helped you find some new way towards charity and justice in your life, whatever ways the Spirit does in you to respond are holy, good ways, ways worth pursuing. Ways you will find a God who is working in all things, through all things, and with all things in ways so extraordinary they make sea monsters dance in the ocean, as the psalm says. They make us all fed 
as the psalm says, and so extraordinary that as the last few verses say, the work is not over. It is always ongoing. It has never been completed and never will be completed because God creates today and God creates in and through you. Amen.